Good morning. morning. Let's begin with prayer. Gracious Father, we are so in need of your presence, your wisdom, your enlightening of our minds, your uh, compassionate uh, presence to give us love in our hearts. Give us discernment as we discuss today and help us at this time in history to, to stand for your kingdom in a, in a uh, powerful and uh, in a loving way. We pray in your holy name. Amen. We are doing a lesson uh, number 10 in the quarterly Rest in Christ. The title is Sabbath Rest. Uh, and again, we are exploring the Sabbath this week. Uh, it emphasizes the, that it is the only commandment that says remember. And when you consider that, what is it that we are to remember when we remember the Sabbath? God is creator. God is deliverer. God is healer and sanctifier. Uh, when you consider the Sabbath, what does it mean to you? How has it been a blessing to you? Definitely a day of peace. Day of peace? Joy. Joy. Fellowship. Fellowship. Letting go. Letting go. Worship. Is it a day I just really look forward to to recover, to relax, to unwind? Yeah. Uh, 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 Is it a time um, of liberty and freedom? It wasn't when I was growing up. I promise you it was not. It was a day of restriction and rules. But as I've come to understand what it really represents, it's a day of freedom, truth, love, freedom. Time with family and friends is a reminder we were created in the image of God and did not evolve from lower life forms. That you have an identity as a being with moral worth and inalienable rights endowed to you by your creator. Does it remind you of that? Is it evidence to you that Satan lied about God? In God's government. That if God were the kind of being Satan says, we wouldn't have a Sabbath. He would just say, get in line, do it or else. But the Sabbath, I rest my case. You all think for yourself, freedom, no pressure. And for people who are sort of workaholics anyway, it's, um, you would work if you, if you didn't have the Sabbath. The Sabbath gives you the freedom not to work. There you go. Or study. When I was in school, no study. <laughs> Seven-day weekly cycle is a powerful evidence of creation, the seven-day week. You know, the day is, is measured by the rotating of the earth on its axis, the, the month, the moon around the earth, the year, the, the, the earth around the sun. But the weekly cycle, where does that come from? From, the, from creation. There is no astronomical or cosmological basis for it. And in fact, there is science now that shows that there's actually a seven-day circadian rhythm built into nature. And I've put a link, I'm not going to go into the details, but I put a link in here for anybody who's interested, where they actually show in plants and animals of all different types that they, their, body, their, their, their life cycles on a seven-day rhythm. Where did that come from? Monday's lesson points out that the Sabbath is also evidence that we have freedom only with Jesus, only under God's government, how is it that we have freedom only in harmony with God and his law? How is that true? Or you could ask the other question, if we break God's law, how is it that we don't have freedom? Is it, well, it's kind of like a government. You break the law, you're, you're, you're guilty of a crime, and you're, and you're under uh, indictment, and the, and the law enforcement agents will arrest you, and you're, you're going to be on death row, and you're under the penalty of the judicial magistrate. who will pun- you're, you're locked up in a prison house. Is that what it means that when we break his law, we, we lose our freedom? That's human law. How about if you decide to use your liberty to break the laws of health and smoke two packs of cigarettes a day? 
and you get COPD. And now you have oxygen that you have to have all the time. You can't, do you have as much freedom? Or have you lost freedom? Slave. Can you climb the stairs? How about you have, for whatever reason, become morbidly obese? Can you climb the stairs of the Eiffel Tower? We were in Paris some years ago. We, we climbed the stairs of the Eiffel Tower. We didn't see any morbidly obese people doing that. <laughs> we didn't. They have the same human rights as us. There was no sign out there that said morbidly obese, not allowed. Why weren't they doing it? They were restricted. Their liberty was taken from them. By what? Health. See, when you violate God's laws, we, we, we actually don't get more freedom. We get less freedom. This is how reality works. The Sabbath is evidence of creation, of design law, of freedom to think and to choose how reality actually works of his principles. And the Sabbath calls our attention to nature and the laws of nature. And uh, this is out of a book called Christ Object Lessons, page 25. Christ's purpose in parable teaching was in direct line with the purpose of the Sabbath. God gave to men the memorial of his creative power that they might discern in the works of his hand. They discern him in the works of, of his hand. The Sabbath bids us behold in his created works the glory of the creator. What's the glory? Is it bright light? What's glory mean? Character. The character. So can we look into nature and see anything about the character of God? What do we see when we look into nature? Is it only that he's powerful because he can speak things into this? So we know he's got a lot of power. Or do we actually see his glory, his character? What do we see there? Do we see the law of love? Every breath you take, you give away carbon dioxide. And the plant, plants give oxygen back to you. The law of love built right into nature and many other places we've talked about. And how do the design laws work? What principles are revealed? Do we see how this is an evidence of how God runs his entire kingdom and universe? Is there anything arbitrary built into nature? Well, the squirrel didn't collect nuts for the winter. Therefore, the, um, the uh, police officer gives them a ticket and doesn't allow them to eat this winter. There's nothing arbitrary built into nature, is there? No, it's just how reality works. This is the kingdom of God. Um, when we study nature, do we learn about the ways and means punishment happens in nature? Is it ever externally inflicted? Or it's inherent? Violate the laws of nature, you reap the consequences. You, you reap what you sow. Continue on with the quote. Well, I'm going to actually go to the next quote. This is uh, Christ's Object Lessons, page 26. And Christ has linked his teaching not only with the day of rest, but with the week of toil. He, he has wisdom for him who drives the plow and sows the seed. Think this through. The Sabbath commandment is connected not just with rest, but with six days of work or labor. It's not six days you may labor. Is that how the commandment reads? Six days you could go to work. Or is it actually six days you will? Or you shall? You shall labor. This was not for money. This was for another purpose. Six days you shall labor. This is God's design laws built into reality. This is what's happening here. It's first the law of exertion. The Sabbath ties many design laws together in the Sabbath. Uh, the Sabbath commandment. The law of exertion. If you want something to get stronger, you must 
exercise it. Because if you don't use it, you lose it. So six days you exercise, you get stronger, whether it's physical strength, whether it's uh, mental strength, a musical skill, art skill, math skill, whatever. If you exercise, you get stronger. It develops. Neural networks perform, uh, develop and, and pathways um, enhance. But then you rest. That's the law of restoration. After a finite being expends energy, you must rest and recover lest you burn out. So the Sabbath incorporates both. The only way we gain, the only way to develop is to labor and rest. Labor and rest. These are part of God's design laws. But we also see built into the Sabbath the law of worship. By beholding, we become changed. We are to worship God as well. And by beholding Him, we become changed. We see the law of love, truth presented in love, leaving people free. We see the law of liberty. The Sabbath enhances. This is why it's so beautiful when you brightly understand it. It is a remembering God's design laws, how life and health happen. So is there another law at work on earth today contrary to God's design laws? Yeah, you read about this in Romans 8, 1 and 2. It says, therefore, there's no condemnation for those who are in Christ Jesus because through Christ Jesus, the law of the spirit of life, that's design laws, set me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death does not come from God. He, he is the originator of life, the law of life comes from him. The law of sin and death comes from violating the law of life. What is the law of sin and death? It's the survival of the fittest. The fear-driven, me first, watch out for self, contrary to the principles of beneficence, antagonistic to love, kill or be killed. This is the law of sin and death. And what did Christ say about how the seeds of the law of sin and death got put into the field? Remember the parable? Yes, did we not plant good seed? Where did all these weeds come? An enemy has done this. Consider this from Second Selected Messages 288. Christ never planted the seeds of death in the system. Satan planted these seeds when he tempted Adam to eat of the tree of knowledge, which meant disobedience to God. Not one noxious plant was placed in the Lord's great garden. But after Adam and Eve sinned, poisonous herbs sprang up. In the parable of the sower, the question was asked, did we not sow good seed in the field? When, where, did the, where did the weeds come from? The master said, an enemy has done this. All tares, or weeds, are sown by the evil one. Every noxious herb is of his sowing. And by his ingenious methods of amalgamation, he has corrupted the earth with his tares, or his weeds. Uh, this would include every disease, every pathogen, and every virus. God did not create them. They are designed by an enemy to injure and destroy and harm God's creation. The quote continues. Then shall physicians continue to resort to drugs which leave a deadly evil in the system, destroying that life which Christ came to restore? Christ remedies cleanse the system, but Satan has tempted man to introduce into the system that which weakens the human machinery, clogging and destroying the fine, beautiful arrangement of God. The drugs administered to the sick do not restore but destroy. Drugs never cure. Instead, they place in the system seeds which bear a bitter harvest. Before you get upset, <laughs> we must understand this in the context of when it was written, identify the principles that are being described, and not interpreted in a false light. 
So the next quote, after this was written, some medical students at Loma Linda wrote the author, Ellen White, and, and, and asked for clarification about what she means when she says drugs. And this is what they asked her. From our study of the testimonies and the little work, How to Live, we can see that the Lord strongly opposes the use of drugs in our medical work. Several of the students are in doubt as to what it means, uh, what you mean by the word drug. Uh, does it refer to the stronger medicines as mercury, strychnine, arsenic, and such poisons? <laughs> or the simpler things like potassium and iodine and squills? Uh, we, we know that our success will be proportional to adherence to God's methods. For this reason, I've asked the above question. And then... Her answer, your questions, I will say, are answered largely, if not definitely, in how to live. Drug poisons means the articles you have mentioned. The simpler remedies are less harmful in proportion to their simplicity. I do not think that I can give you a de any definite line of medicines compounded and dealt out by doctors that are perfectly harmless. Do you see that her comments were quite right? The so-called drug medications of her day were, in fact, poisons. Strychnine, arsenic, mercury. This is what they were prescribing to people for sickness. And they would injure the system. And then she says she is not aware, she can't give any line of reasoning that any of the compounded medicines are, what is her words here, are perfectly harmless. Would that be true today? Even our pharmaceuticals, are, are, is there one you can think of that is perfectly harmless? <laughs> They all have risks, don't they? They all have side effects, don't they? They they seen a physician's desk reference, but they're gargantuanly thick. And even aspirin has amazing amounts of things that are that can cause wrong with you. Does this mean then that in all circumstances, medicines that could injure a healthy person should never be given to a sick person? Because they could injure a healthy person, we should not give them to a sick person, or other times, even if they could injure a healthy person, they still can be beneficial to the sick person. Well, this is a true story also. Uh, this is written by Willie White, her son, telling the story of one of the missionaries uh, uh, alive at the time that Ellen White was alive, uh, and ha that he was in the Far East, and his son got malaria, and the doctors wanted to give the son quinine. And because of her writing to the Testament, she wouldn't allow it, and the boy died. And... He wrote, Mrs. White, and asked this question. When I have sinned to give the boy quinine, when I knew of no other way to check the malaria, and when the prospect was that he would die without it. In reply, she said, no, we are expected to do the best we can. Do you see and understand the principles here she's advocating? She's advocating the ethical medical principle called primum non nocir which is Latin and means, first, do no harm. It's the principle of non-maleficence, meaning we do not inflict harm or injury. We do not take actions that add burdens. Uh, our interventions, our cure, should not be worse than the disease. It's a risk-benefit analysis. What's the potential harm I can cause by intervening? versus doing nothing. What's the potential benefit? What are the risk-benefit analysis? That's what she's advocating. We're very brilliant, very right, exactly correct. It's all about restoring health, healing. What's most likely to result in a good, healthy outcome? That's the decision. But our decisions are only as good as the information upon which they're based. 
if we're lied to or have critical information withheld from us, then our ability to make an informed decision is undermined, is it not? Who is the proper person for all of you in this room and anybody watching online, who is the proper person to make medical decisions about what drugs you put in your body for you? Understand, we're at a war for hearts and minds right now today, folks. The methods of God are truth, love, liberty. We present the truth in love. We lead people free. But the methods of Satan are lies that incite fear, and fear results in survival drives that cause people to seek to control others to make themselves feel safe. I've been reading, <laughs> I just read this week, the, in a prologue, I didn't read the book, but I read the prologue of a sci-fi novel called Battleground. It was published in June 2019. Notice when it was published. Published June 2019. That was before COVID, right? It broke out in December 2019, okay? Note, and this is just one little paragraph out of this struck me. And just because it's in a novel doesn't mean it's untrue. I will show you how this actually is true in society. But, but listen to what, is, what this, this is from the character, one of the characters in the novel. What I learned during this time is that, for the most part, people don't truly hate each other. It is the governments that sow discord, encouraging people to distrust and fear those uh, who come from someplace else. Large groups are easier to control if you give them two things. Something to fear and a solution to protect them from it. With those two things, people are willing to turn over control of much of their lives to the government. Did it just give you chills to hear that? Has this ever happened in history? Look at the Nazi Germany and the rise, what they did. They gave them something to fear and they gave them something they could do about that fear. This is classic. Is it happening today? Are these methods used by people who seek political power? How is it others can manipulate you in, with these methods? Right now, online, in this room, are any of us individually right now under the influence of some political force or power other than Jesus? Are our minds right now influenced and directed by forces other than the Holy Spirit? I'm going to test you. I'm going to give you a little test. I'm going to test it right now. So consider for a moment the, the, the following statements I'm going to make. And I want you to imagine that I didn't preamble and tell you it was a test. <laughs> imagine I just came in and said it as if I believe it's true and you should also. I want you to consider your reaction to these statements if I just said them and, and, and it wasn't an imaginary test. Here are some statements. Global warming and climate change is a scam. It is a false narrative designed to manipulate you. Or, global warming and climate change is real and if we don't stop all carbon emissions, we're going to die. We need to stop carbon emissions. Or, Hillary Clinton was one of the most honest politicians ever and we would have been better off had we put her in office. Or, Donald Trump was a brilliant leader, and the world would be better off if we could make him president of the world. <laughs> Did any of those comments cause you to react with anger, hurt, anxiety, fear, frustration? If they did, your mind is being manipulated. 
your mind is not under the exclusive control of the Holy Spirit. Governments manipulate you through false narratives that are designed to incite primarily fear or hate. And then they provide you a solution to vent your hate or resolve your fear. If you will simply identify with them and give them the power they need to carry out the solution. This is happening, folks. How do you protect your mind from this type of manipulation? I'm going to give you all, it's in the notes, a long list of things. Protect your mind and heart from this manipulation. First, fix your eyes on Christ. On God's kingdom and not on this world. Do not buy into the lie that God's kingdom is of this world and we can achieve God's kingdom through the governments of this world. It's a lie. Do not accept the lie that you can get justice through human governments. Just get the right laws passed, the right ordinances, the right justices. You're not going to get justice this way. Do not look to human governments or media for truth. You can look to them for information, but that information must be processed and filtered through a discerning mind who understands God's principles and methods so that you know what's propaganda and false and what's information that can be acted on. Do not form your identity based on human standards. Know that you are a child of God. You're a citizen of a kingdom in heaven. Do not look to others to make you feel good, to fit in, to feel part of something so that you can feel loved and accepted. Look to Jesus to fit into his kingdom, to hear him say, well done, thou good and faithful servant. Those who look to human groups for acceptance are vulnerable to manipulation and ultimately rejecting truth so they can stay accepted. Have God's law written upon your heart. Love the Lord your God with all your mind, heart, soul, and strength, and neighbor as yourself. Do not buy into the lie of us versus them. All have sinned and fallen short of the glory of God. It is only by the grace of God that we are able to live lives better than the worst sinners in the world. When we accept the lies and embrace either fear or hate, we impair our own prefrontal cortexes. We become emotional. We can't think. We can't critically reason. We react. We get, we're vulnerable to be pushed around if someone can just get us angry or, or fearful enough. The way we, def- what is it to cast out fear? Love. And what are we supposed to do with our enemies? Love your enemies. The reason we love our enemies is because in doing so, we free our minds from manipulation. Loving our enemies aligns us not only with God, but it helps develop characters and leaves us free to practice his methods and principles and leaves our minds free to be crit- to critically reason, to discern truth and act on that truth. If we don't love our enemies, we're manipulated. We are being manipulated by these false narratives that are designed to make you fearful and see other persons a threat to you. So you'll then give power to the government and surrender your liberty. We are being manipulated today more than ever in human history. We must unplug from the world's multiple false narratives and put Jesus and his kingdom first in our hearts and minds. Now, I've been very concerned for you, our listeners, 
I've received numerous emails over the last couple of months, and particularly the last two weeks, some expressing incredible thanks for our taking God's methods and principles and applying them to the real world scenarios and situations and decisions we're, we're living through. Others have communicated to us that they're not going to watch us anymore because they perceive us as being political rather than spiritual. This really saddens me. For we are to be in the world, but not of the world. But in the world, we have to live in the world. We have to make decisions, interact with the world and the governments around us. How are we to live in the world if we're not making day-to-day decisions to apply God's methods in how we deal with the world? We have to process God's methods in real-life decision-making, don't we? So this week, I was reading in a book, you might have heard of it, called The Great Controversy. And came across pertinent passages for today. And instead of me just applying the two antagonistic principles to real world situations, I thought I would read excerpts from this book that will hopefully satisfy both groups. Because it just isn't my opinion. This is a Christian author, and hopefully those who want things to be more, more, more spiritual will see that because it's coming out of the book, this is a spiritual issue and it's a spiritual war. But it interfaces with the real world around us. We are going to start in the chapter called, and see if this doesn't just resonate with you already, Liberty of Conscience Threatened is the chapter title. Starting on page 563, the author writes, Romanism, understand what that term means. The way she uses it, It means a system of imperialism that will use coercive control to manipulate or control or force your conscience. That's what Romanism is. Romanism is now regarded by Protestants. Understand what Protestantism is in her mind. Protestantism is the principle of religious liberty. Presented, present the truth and love, leave others free. Thus we have right here in this opening sentence two antagonistic systems or principles. Romanism, imperialism, rules over, coercive control, threatening people to make them conform. This is what Romanism is. Versus Protestantism, which we have liberty of conscience. Remember the other quote from Great Controversy that the United States' power is found in republicanism and Protestantism, that is civil liberties and religious liberties. That's what Protestantism is. This is not a war between two churches or two specific doctrinal arguments. That's not what this is about. It's methods of of religiosity, imperialism and coercive control versus truth, love, liberty, leaving people free. So Romanism is now regarded by Protestants with far greater favor than in former years. This doesn't mean we like the Mass. This doesn't mean that we think the Pope is sovereign. This doesn't mean what, what she's saying is that Protestants now come to believe that imperialism is righteous and you can get justice by passing laws and coercing people. That's Romanism. And Protestants are looking on it favorably. Romanism is now regarded by Protestants with far greater favor than in former years. Now notice the next sentence. The time was when Protestants placed a high value upon the liberty of conscience which has been so dearly purchased. The time was. Oh, long for the day. They taught their children to abhor popery. Again, pope. 
authoritarian person who makes a rule and it is enforced by the weight of his authority. It's imperialism. We were to abhor this type of approach to our conscience. Somebody makes a rule and you're required to obey. We were to abhor it. They taught their children to abhor popery and held that to seek harmony with Rome would be disloyalty to God. But now, how widely different are the sentiments now expressed? Do you see that in Protestantism that there is many people now willing to co- uh, align themselves with the state and support imposed laws based on declarations and coerce people's consciences? It's exactly how the Dark Ages church worked. Next, next paragraph. It is Satan's constant effort to misrepresent the character of God, the nature of sin, and the real issues at stake in the controversy. How? How does he do this? By getting us to accept the lie that God's law works like human law, a system of rules that the sovereign is desired to oversee with enforcements of punishment, and thus God becomes the inflictor of pain, suffering, and death, and everything becomes legal. His sophistry lessens the obligation of divine law and gives men license to sin. Get that, get that. See, we don't have to obey the law because we got somebody to pay the penalty. And there's no problem with breaking the law. It's not inherent. You don't actually damage yourself when you break the law. You get in legal trouble. And, and Jesus took all the sins upon him. If you get all the sins paid by Jesus, then you can keep living in sin because they're already paid, past, present, and future. This is what the legal system does. At the same time, he causes them to cherish false conceptions of God so that they regard him with fear and hate rather than love. Yes, he's the ultimate source of punishment. We need someone to intercede with him, plead him as blood, so they won't hurt us. The cruelty inherent in his own character is attributed to the Creator. It is embodied in systems of religion and expressed in modes of worship. Thus, the minds of men are blinded, and Satan secures them as his agents to war against God. These are Christian folk now who have bought into the lie about how God works, and they think imperialism is right. They think it's right to pass the right laws and enforce the right punishments on people because that's how justice works. And thus they become agents of Satan in the world. By perverted conceptions of the divine attributes, heathen nations were led to believe human sacrifice is necessary uh, to secure the divine favor or the favor of the deity. And of course we teach that a human sacrifice was necessary in order to offer the sinless blood to the Father to secure his favor. It's pagan. It's not what was necessary. Continuing on. It is not without reason that the claim has been put forth in Protestant countries that Catholicism differs less widely from Protestantism than in former times. There has been a change, but the change is not in the papacy. No, the papacy is still imperial. It's still authoritarian. Catholicism indeed resembles much of the Protestantism that now exists because Protestantism has so greatly degenerated since the days of the Reformers. Remember, we're speaking of imperialism here, not specific doctrines or dogmas. We're speaking of methods that we use to pursue what we think is right. Just think within your own lovely and cherished Adventist church. Have you seen anything about compliance committees? Authoritarian rule from on high? 
pastors and church officers are going to be punished if they don't comply with the rule. The exact opposite of the organizational construct of the Adventist church, which is supposed to have local authority, not central authority. What has changed? Protestant is becoming more enthralled with imposed law and the lie that justice can be achieved through imposed law and forced obedience. Compelling conscience of others is right. That's what's changed. Do you see this happening in the world right now? If the reader would understand, get this now, if the reader would understand the agencies to be employed in the soon coming contest, it's right upon us. Do you want to understand the agencies that are being used against you? He has but to trace the record of the means which Rome employed for the same object in ages past. The means look at the methods, not the specific doctrines. It's the methods, the means used. If he would know how the papists and Protestants united will deal with those who reject their dogmas, let him see the spirit which Rome manifested toward the Sabbath and its defenders. This is not about the Sabbath she's focusing on. The Sabbath is the object, but she's looking at the means they use to deal with it. What method? What means? What mark? That's what we're looking at. She goes on to describe the methods. Do you want to see how the, the, the world is going to align itself to form the beast? Watch the method. Royal edicts. General councils and church ordinances sustained by secular power were the steps by which the pagan festival attained its position of honor in the Christian world. What method? Proclamations, imposed rules, legislation, authority of office, backed by coercive enforcement. That's the method. This is what we're to be watching for. Romanism overruling conscience. Romanism, imperialism, declarations, coercion, overruling conscience on any subject, on any subject. By edict, by authority of office. Perhaps you might not call it a royal edict. Perhaps you would call it an executive order. <laughs> Seriously, that's the same thing. An executive order. It's simply an edict, a royal edict from the person in charge. But it's legal. He's in office. Yeah, so is the royal edict. An executive order ordering compliance under threat of law and punishment. This is how Rome achieved its, its attack on the Sabbath. It's not about the Sabbath. It's about the methods and means. And she's saying, if you want to be wise, if you want to see what's coming, watch for the methods and means. Continue on the next paragraph. The royal mandate or in modern terms, the executive order, not proving a sufficient substitute for divine authority. Think that through. Eusebius, a bishop who sought the favor of the princes and who was a special friend and flatterer of Constantine, advanced the claim that Christ had transferred the Sabbath to Sunday. Not a single testimony of, of the Scriptures was produced in proof of the new doctrine. Again, it's not about the Sabbath. Methods and means. What is the method of Satan here? Since the imposed law, the mandates... Are we hearing anything about mandates in society today? Mandates, okay. Because this imposed law, this mandate, lacks sufficient evidence 
to support it, it was advanced through claim. In other words, Eusebius, a doctoral church historian and theologian, gave his expert opinion. You hearing much about expert opinions for mandates? That this was true. He claimed it, declared it, used his authority of position in office. Are we seeing this happening in society today? Proclamations being advanced by expert opinion, but without reproducible, testable evidence. In fact, much of the expert opinion is actually contrary to the testable evidence we have. I'll give you one example. <laughs> Just this week. And I've got the links in here. You can go check it out for yourself. Scott Gottlieb, MD, former FDA commissioner, uh, and now on the board of Pfizer, certainly no conflicts of interest there, was interviewed on CNBC and asked about if the vaccines offer better immunity than natural immunity from recovering. He He says, quote, I've got the link, you can go watch it. We do believe that the vaccines offer a broader complement of immune protection than natural immunity, unquote. This is a lie. It is contrary to multiple research studies now that show a broad immunity of multiple different antibodies that are effective against all 23 variants that we currently know, which is not true from the vaccinated. In fact, the other outcome studies show that the actual recovered, there's been no documented cases of reinfection of people who've recovered. Multiple cases of people having outbreaks of the Delta version after vaccination and having two of them. This is fraudulent. It's, but it's on the weight of office. Former FDA commissioner has said. He has spoken. Who are we to question? But, but even look at the sophistry in his answer. He doesn't give a direct answer. He doesn't say, yes, they do. We believe. Yes, we believe. We believe it. But, yeah, we believe this is true. plausible deniability. Well, that's what I believed at the time. Yeah. I've, so that he can't be held accountable because his beliefs changed. That's what I believed at the time. Right. Okay. But exactly. Very. But what's what's the message designed to tell people? Mm-hmm. It's 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 a it's a lie. It's simply fraudulent. These methods, Ellen White has warned us against. Continuing on, later it was decreed that. Get your mind around this now. Later, after after the methods of declaration without evidence, using weight of office and course of now comes later it was decreed that rich men should be punished with the loss of half their estates, and finally, if they still were obstinate, they should be made slaves. The lower classes were to suffer perpetual banishment. Coercive enforcement. Are we seeing this in society today? Financial penalties, loss of jobs, loss of licenses, loss of businesses, etc., etc., if you don't comply with the coercive enforcement. Later, the Pope gave directions that the parish priest should admonish the violators of Sunday and wish them to go to church and say their prayers, lest they bring some great calamity on themselves and their neighbors. If you love people, you'll do this so the Lord, so you won't harm others. And this week, the Pope, the Pope currently, admonished Christians to get vaccinated lest they bring some calamity upon themselves and others. If you love others, you'll do this. I've got the link in the notes. In New York City right now, if you don't have your vaccine passport, you cannot buy or sell. No one can buy or sell, even if they their mark. 
You can't go into grocery stores, restaurants, department stores, theaters, businesses, or any other building with three walls and a roof is considered indoors. You can't go. Other than a hospital or a clinic, if you're sick, I guess you can still go there. In Washington State, healthcare workers, including physicians, are being mandated to get the vaccines. Why is it that so many healthcare workers are resistant? <laughs> I mean, if it's so healthy to do, I can tell you I have had so many vaccines in my life. I've had the typical MMR stuff you get, the polio vaccine. Uh, when I was in uh, uh, early in my medical career, I got, the, I got the hepatitis B vaccines. I've had flu vaccines. I've had vaccines after vaccines after vaccines because I see the science. I see the benefit. Absolutely. But this thing, I will tell you the evidence as it stands now, if I had to choose for me personally, can't tell you what to do, if I had to choose for me personally, I would choose to be actively infected with the wild virus and get the early therapeutics and treat it rather than get that injection. Amen. The outcomes are going to be much better. The risks are much lower as far as the data goes at this point in time. And, and that data, if you want to see that data, go to my blog for this week that went up uh, Friday uh, on uh, COVID, the death of the independent American physician. And I have all the evidence laid out there. And there's early treatment protocols that you can do at home in one of the links there. Very effective. In fact, the data shows you do early treatment, 85% reduction in hospitalizations and death. This has been known for, for over a year now. This was published in peer-reviewed journals over a year ago. Have you heard this being taught by your uh, community of uh, public health officials? Have you heard this on all the news channels? Don't worry, if you get it, just get treatment within the first five days, 85% reduction in, uh, in hospitalizations and death. Have you heard this? There's nothing to be afraid of. Why? Because governments manipulate you with fear and hate. If we actually had done this and we had 650,000 deaths, they say right now, if you accept that number, it's, it's up to debate, but let's just accept it. Reduce that by 85%, that number becomes much, much lower, consistent with just a bad flu season. And if that's how it was, you knew that you get treatment and the, and the death rate's really, really low, would you be frightened? And they can't control you. There's an agenda here. This information's being suppressed and purposely withheld by agencies of the government. This type of enforcement, this type of manipulation of information, this type of coercive threat, get this or else. Get this on why there's so many deaths. Think this through with any other... You guys, just common sense. Think of any other condition. Somebody you know gets some form of cancer, stage one. They go to the doctor. The doctor says, go home until it's stage four, spread all over your body, you're in pain, you can't function, come back to the hospital, we'll hit you with big doses of chemo. And you'll suffer and die. That's what they do with this disease. They tell people, in fact, they're instructed. There are instructions from actually the CDC that tells doctors if somebody has COVID, send them home, no treatment, until they present and are hypoxic. And then put them on a ventilator. And then put and, and understand, by that time, they're, 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 there's phases of the disease. The disease has the rapid replicating phase. That's the early phase when the virus is replicating. If you intervene there, you can stop that process and you stop the second phase. The second phase is when your the replication causes the, the spike proteins to latch all over the place, which causes inflammation and your body has a strong inflammatory response. And, and that while well, they're trying to clear this, but these little spike proteins have, have attached all the different tissues of your body, your airways and, and other places, and that uh, trying to clear them now causes inflammation. And the inflammation then causes swelling and causes blood clots and causes breathing problems. In the early phase, you stop the replication. 
So you stop the second two phases. What happens is don't do that until you get to the second or third phase. By then, the virus is already gone, but all the inflammation and tissue damage is still there, and you can't treat them uh, with antivirals and things because the virus really isn't the problem anymore. It's the cascade that it's caused is the problem. And doctors are being told, don't treat it early. Wait till they get sick. It's corrupt. It's designed to magnify death, to make you afraid to take freedom. Let me say this very clearly. Getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine has no bearing on your salvation. Getting the vaccine or not getting the vaccine, there will be people in heaven who've been vaccinated from this, this vaccine, have gotten it, and the people in heaven who have not been vaccinated. It has no bearing on it. It may very well have a bearing on your health. And you can believe either way you want. I think the evidence is, is overwhelming at this point that you're better off getting early treatment without the vaccine. I think, in my opinion, and the data that I've looked at, and the reproducible, actual, real evidence, not the opinions of experts, so, uh, leads to that conclusion. And the evidence is on my website, and you can evaluate it for yourself. It's not really that hard to figure out once you see the evidence. So whether you get it or don't get it, it, it may affect your health, but it won't affect your salvation. But the methods you're willing to employ to make sure others get it, that very well may affect your salvation. If you're willing to embrace the methods of coercion, manipulation, control, threat, you're embracing the systems of the beast, you're choosing which law and which God you prefer, you're becoming like that God in character by the way you practice and treat other people, you're hardening your heart, corrupting your character, taking yourself out of harmony with God and his kingdom if you practice these methods. God is permitting this to happen right now on earth so that every person on earth is being confronted with the two antagonistic principles. Every person on earth is having to decide how they're going to deal with this and how they're going to treat others. Open your eyes, wake up, and see this is a worldwide event. Every nation in the world, every person in the world is being faced with this. The pro-vaxxers force, or for, uh, forces uh, in the world are using all of Satan's methods. Misinformation, censoring, deplatforming, coercing, pressuring, bribing, every one of his methods, accusing economies. The question is not, again, primarily about the vaccine. It's about the methods, just like it wasn't about the Sabbath and the Dark Ages. It's about the methods. In some parts of the world, they're literally holding people down and forcefully injecting them. In other places, there uh, reports they're arresting doctors who try to treat it early. We have online followers who have emailed us about they work for the Adventist Health System. And the Adventist Health System has sent them a letter telling them that if they don't get the vaccine, they're going to be fired from their job. Really? What is the rationale? I'd love to hear the rationale. Oh, well, we, it's a force retention thing. We're afraid that if we don't vaccinate, kind of like the flu, we'll have a bunch of people go out with the flu, and then we won't have the people here to help care for the people. So we need to do this to protect them from getting sick. Really? So you want to maintain them in their place of employment so they can help others, right? So if they don't get it, you'll fire them so they won't be in their place of employment. That really doesn't work, does it? If that's your goal. Well, we want to prevent them from transmitting it to other people. Except 
the data now shows that the ones who transmit it to other people are the ones who got the vaccine, not the ones who've naturally recovered. The naturally recovered do not transmit it, but multiple reports well verified now that if you get the vaccine, it doesn't stop you from getting reinfected, nor does it stop you from transmitting it to others. So, hmm, that argument doesn't work to force it on people either. Why, if you're an administrator of an Adventist hospital, would you force this on somebody against their conscience? And I believe there's no exemption for somebody who's naturally recovered and has better immunity. And the data shows that if you give it to somebody who's naturally recovered, you're going to have much higher risk of a bad outcome. Giving it to somebody who's naturally recovered, there is no benefit. There is only risk of injury. Why would you do that to your employees? Continuing on. This is from the chapter entitled The Impending Conflict, starting on page 589. Satan works through the elements also to garner his harvest of unprepared souls. He has studied the secrets of the laboratories of nature, and he has used all his power to control the elements as far as God allows. It is God that shields his creatures and hedges them in from the powers of the destroyer. But the Christian world have, but the Christian world have, have shown contempt for the law of Jehovah. And yes, because we, because it's embraced the imperial system. The Lord will do just what he has declared he would do. He will withdraw his blessing from the earth and remove his protecting care from those who are rebelling against his law and teaching and forcing others to do the same. Forcing others to do the same. Satan has control of all whom God does not especially guard. He will favor and prosper some in order to further his own designs and he will bring trouble upon others and lead men to believe it is God that is afflicting them. He will bring diseases and disaster until populous cities are reduced to ruin and desolation. Even now he is at work in accidents and calamities by sea and land, in great conflagration, uh, in fierce tornadoes and terrific hailstorms, in tempests, floods, cyclones, tidal waves, and earthquakes. Yes, climate change, because we must be afraid, and then we can give our power to a certain uh, authority to actually make us safe from it. It's failing to see this is Satan at work at the end of time. In every place and in a thousand forms, Satan is exercising his power. He sweeps away the ripening harvest and, and famine and distress follows. He imparts to the air a deadly taint and thousands perish by the pestilence. Viruses are not from God. And then the great deceiver, after tainting the air with his pestilence, will persuade men that those who serve God are the cause of these evils. It's the unvaccinated that are doing this. Those who want to keep their spirit temples pure. Those who want to follow the dictates of their conscience. They're the ones harming us. They must be punished. They must be forcibly injected with an experimental agent. And why must they be forced? Because the truth is not on the side of the vaccinators. You don't have to force when the truth is compelling. There is no long-term safety data, period. They don't have any actual scientific evidence that these things are safe. Worse, the actual evidence that is mounting shows they're ineffective in stopping the spread. They're ineffective in stopping reemergence. They're ineffective in stopping deaths. And they add risk and cause harm. Over 9,000 deaths reported in the VIRUS system from these. 
Every year since the VR system's been operating, since 1990 or 91, there's an average of all 30 or what, 70, how many, how many vaccines do we have on the market now? However many we have, all of them combined, there's an average of 150 deaths a year. 150 deaths a year, because that always happens, because somebody has a bad reaction to something unpredictably. From all of them combined. This thing, 9,000 deaths since December, since January, January, December. That they're reporting. That they're reporting. Well, the 12,000 number got reduced because uh, evidently there were some uh, reports that were people from outside the country is what I've heard. But these are the official accepted reports. There's a, there's, there's, there are um, whistleblowers that report there's actually tens of thousands more that have been not put in the database. Um, U.S. only, that 9,000 U.S. only, yeah. Continuing on with the quote, Satan's policy in, in, in this, and, and hopefully you guys are watching, we're in the great controversy still. Aren't we still being spiritual? This is not political. This is spiritual. Satan's policy in this final conflict, note in the final conflict with God's people is the same that he employed in the opening of the great controversy. He professed to be seeking to promote the stability of the divine government while secretly bending every effort to secure its overthrow. And we just wanted people to be safe. We want to save lives while secretly we're trying to destroy as many as we can. Under the rule of Rome, those who suffered death for their fidelity to the gospel were denounced as evildoers. They were declared to be in league with Satan. So it will be now. While Satan seeks to destroy those who honor God's law, he will cause them to be accused as lawbreakers, as men who are dishonoring God and bringing judgment upon the world. God never forces the will or the conscience. But Satan's constant resort to gain control of those whom he cannot otherwise seduce is compulsion by cruelty. Through fear or force, he endeavors to rule the conscience and to secure homage to himself. To accomplish this, he works through both religious and secular authorities, moving them to the enforcement of human laws in defiance of the law of God. If you are an SDA leader of any institution, church, conference, hospital, school, recognize where you stand in history. This is the point in history that you have been spending your entire Adventist life preparing for. Wake up. You're asleep. You stand before the onlooking universe. And they are watching. To whose kingdom are you going to be loyal? Are you going to stand with Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, Abednego, Elijah, with Joshua who told the people, choose you this day whom you will serve? You, SDA leader, right now are choosing which God you're going to serve. Which methods that you're going to apply. Which kingdom you're going to align with in how you treat your employees, your students, and your church members. The principles of God never violate conscience, never compel, never coerce. It's truth presented in love, leaving free. If you're an SDA leader, it's time to wake up and recognize your responsibility is to the people, not the corporation, not the organization 
not the institution. It is not better for one man to die than the nation. As Caiaphas said about Jesus. Don't fall into the trap of sacrificing people to save organizations. Your responsibility is to God and to stand for God's methods. SDA leader, reverse your course. I don't know if you know, but they've, North American Division put out a policy position that they will not stand by members who claim a religious exemption. They will not provide one. It's time to cease and desist all mandates. If you run an Adventist hospital, an Adventist school, you must cease and desist all the mandates. Provide letters of exemption to your members. Do not abandon God's people at this time. Fulfill your responsibilities. Be like Esther, for who knows if it wasn't for such a time as this that you were called. Just consider, folks, for one second. This is a worldwide event. Every human in the world is facing this. What witness could we have if the entire SDA church, every institution, every school, every hospital, every church, every conference stood up for the principles of truth, love, and liberty right now and stood in opposition of the kingdoms and governments of this world that are coercing and forcing the gospel could lighten the world. The three angels' message could lighten the world right now today because everyone would inquire, who are these people standing up against coercive force? Don't be like the Jews 2,000 years ago who missed their opportunity. Stand up. Awake. Don't miss your opportunity unless Jesus call on the rocks to cry out because you didn't. And for those who are under threat of losing their job, I want to refer you to a website. It's called libertyandhealth.org. Libertyandhealth.org. Go there. You will, you will find resources to help you. Find templates of religious uh, letters for religious uh, exemption. Uh, you will find uh, other uh, supporting resources and how to find an attorney. They're going to put up attorney lists that can help you. So if you are facing it, also understand do not be bullied. Most of the organizations can't operate if they fire everybody who won't get the vaccine. Up to 40% of our population, 50% don't want it. They are, they, are, they are sending these letters to intimidate and to cow you and to frighten you that I have to do it or else I'll live. And they have you look, oh, I don't know how to pay my bills. And so they want you simply based on fear to go along. You stand courageously. Don't bow to the idol on the plain of Dura. They might throw you in the fiery furnace, but Jesus will be there with you. You stand for your conscience. I don't know if you know, the, the several airlines were, were making this mandate to their pilots and flight attendants, and the pilots and flight attendants, a, a large portion of them said no. They backed off because they, they would have lost the pilots and flight attendants and they would have had to shut down. Same thing will happen to hospitals. Hospitals cannot run losing 25, 30, 40% of their staff. They can't do it. They want you to think you're standing there all by yourself. It's a lie. Don't, don't buy into it. Also, if you resign, you have given up any recourse, pretty much. You need to make them fire you. Make them take the action. You have done no wrong. You stand on the side of righteousness. Their coercion is evil and it's wrong. And in time, this will be revealed. 
So you stand for what's right. You are gracious and you're Christ-like. You do not get ugly with them. You simply say, hey, I love my job. I love caring for people. I, I, I am going to be here and show up every day that I'm healthy to show up, but I am not taking that injection. Make them fire you. That puts the action on them, which is wrong, and they'll be accountable for it. And it also gives you some legal recourse through lots of things. And on the website I just gave you, they will give you some insight into that. This seems it would work in America because we still have the Constitution and the Bill of Rights. I wonder how it would be in other Yeah, now I don't, I'm only speaking to those in America. I don't know about, thank you for that. I don't really know what the best action governmental-wise is in the other parts of the world. You need to evaluate that and, and make that decision best. But in America, it's better to stand your ground and make them fire you than to resign because, well, I don't want to get fired. I don't want to show in my, my resume that I was fired from a job. No, in this case, you want to be fired for standing for conscience. Yes. It was interesting this week that they had a doctor that said that he would not treat anybody that didn't have the vaccine because it just wasn't ethical. And I'm thinking, really? It, but you're not going to treat anybody that smokes? You're not going to treat anybody that uh, is obese? Uh, where do you draw the line on that? Yeah. So it shows how corrupt, uh, how his mind has been propagandized, and he has lost, actually, the primum non nocere principles of first do no harm. He's also lost the principles of the Hippocratic Oath that requires that we make ourselves available to the benefit of humanity. And so he is complete, and this is what's happened in my blog this week. I describe how physicians have been corrupted by the system them, such that they're less capable of critical reasoning and they accept authority as evidence rather than looking at the evidence themselves. Uh, one other thing I want to say before we close, and that is there are some groups out there that are anti-vax and they're not helpful to the cause of God's kingdom. They're actually harmful. Uh, some of these groups are harmful because notice what we focus on here. We didn't focus ultimately on whether you get the vaccine or not. If you think we did, we didn't. Again, I've said over and over again, it's not whether you get it or not. That's not a salvation issue. The question is the method you're willing to employ on others. That's the real issue. The vaccine is just the pretext. The pretext to get people afraid of, uh, so that they'll be willing to co coerce and, and, and manipulate others and pressure others, which changes your character and puts you in Satan's camp. That's the real process here. But there's others out there who, who don't focus on the character issues involved and the methods involved. They actually focus on the physiological and the physical. And they focus uh, and they put out videos that are real fan really fantastical and fantasy that that make inferences that uh, because there's a certain arrangement of bonds in our DNA, the name of God is written in every one of our bodies in our DNA uh, because of the certain arrangement, the, the letters in the Hebrew alphabet, if you count them up just in the right way, you get Yahweh spelled out in our DNA, and that these are genetic uh, uh, vaccines that will go in and, and erase the name of, of Yahweh out of your DNA and put Satan's name in there, and he will then ride in, arise in, uh, in other words, uh, seat himself up in God's temple, proclaiming himself to be God. This is their view uh and it's 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 um it's superstition it's superstition it is crazy talk it is not biblical and and that type of argument undermines the what we're talking about here today we do not endorse that kind of crazy talk at all this is not a physiological thing. It is about character, about methods that you're willing to enforce and apply on others. And we want to practice the methods of Jesus Christ where we present the truth and love and we leave people free. Dear Heavenly Father, we thank you so much for your love, for your kindness, for your goodness. We are in 
uh, perilous times. The, 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 the whole world is caught up. Systems and governments are aligning and organizing to force and compel people to take actions that they have not been persuaded in their own mind to take. And many church leaders are lining up to support the government. Lord, we need the outpouring of your Holy Spirit. We need the latter rain as never before. Those whose hearts and minds are open to see the truth, pour your spirit upon them, enlighten them, empower them, and give us courage to stand and send your angels to stand by to give us the, the moments and the opportunities to, to stand and, 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 and reveal this truth, to reach others who haven't even considered it yet, but their hearts are not hardened. From the witness of your people at this time, we know a great multitude is just, is just so hungry for the freedom that they can find in you. We pray that that you will enable us to be more effective in taking this message to the world and that your character can be written in our hearts and minds in the way we treat others. And give us love, love for those who would even do us harm. We pray in your holy name. Amen.